As we record this podcast, Congress is conducting a series of votes on the Biden-McCarthy debt ceiling deal. We'll discuss what's in the compromise and the politics of it all. Then Ron DeSantis announced for president in a glitchy Twitter town hall. Ravi, we may not have gotten that one quite right in our predictions. We'll we'll give our reviews uh, and size up the GOP field. J.D. Vance is blaming immigrants for rising housing costs. We'll explain why he's wrong and kind of a jerk. Finally, has Wisconsin turned blue? We'll review some promising trends. This is Majority 54. Well, Jason, as we talk, Congress is going through a series of votes on this debt ceiling deal between McCarthy and Biden, which was announced over the weekend, just in the nick of time. Uh, This bill is called the Fiscal Responsibility Act. It will cut spending, speed up permitting for energy projects, enact new work requirements for people on food stamps, and recover $28 billion in unspent COVID money, and also redirect $20 billion of IRS funding to other agencies. There's other things this bill will do, but there is a lot going on around the messaging around this. Uh, McCarthy seems to have... At least, as we know, this could be two bad predictions in a row. So I'm a little bit worried about <laughs> saying this. But all indications seem to be that he's got the majority of the majority, which is what he needs, and then he'll have enough Democratic votes to pass this through Congress. So we think, as we're recording mm-hmm. this, we're recording this midday on Wednesday. I don't even know where to start, Jason. Where should we start on this thing? Uh, I got a couple of things. One. I think it's important to revisit this whole idea that it is really important to have the majority of the majority. And and what I've been trying to do is take myself out of the headspace where I'm just thinking of this as the Republicans have the majority in the House, right? Because if this is a few years ago, would I feel the same way? The idea that it is important for the majority party to get the majority of their members in order for everybody to feel like the speaker really did their job. I think I'd be inclined to think that, but I have always felt like that is not what the founding fathers, though I do not lionize them as some do, but <laughs> but like, you know, I don't think that's what the founders had in mind, right? Was for Congress to essentially, you know, not be able to move forward. Jason, I think it, they uh, wanted us to spend all of our COVID funds. I think that's Federalist <laughs> right. 63. Well, they, well they, let me say something. Like if you're going to spend something. pandemic dollars, you spend all of those pandemic dollars. That was the original. Let me say that. something about those COVID funds, actually. I'm glad you mentioned it because there is some uh, confusion right now as to what, because what most people think I think is that those funds are all public health pandemic funds. And that that's certainly what the Republicans want to get across is the idea that there's this money still sitting out there. COVID is, you know, functionally from a governmental standpoint, they would argue over, you know, people can email us and tweet at us and say, I shouldn't have said that. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying that's their argument. We have a different debate about that, but that's their argument. And most Americans agree with it. Uh, but the problem is, I'm personally seeing in my day job as president of national expansion at Veterans Community Project that a lot of those dollars, there's a there's a debate right now as to whether that means the American Rescue Plan dollars, which are not that. Yeah, they're passed during COVID, but they're just stimulus funds. Right. And so there there are a lot of projects out there, including some that I'm working on that want to use those to, you know, in my case, to combat, you know, veteran homelessness and all sorts of other great causes. So. You know, it's not nothing. The idea that those would be would be pulled back. Um, but to your point, yeah, the idea that I don't think the founders were like, look, essentially like forty percent 
of uh, or like 35 percent of Congress has to agree <laughs> before the rest of it can move forward. That's unfortunately kind of how they set up the Senate. But I don't think that's how they wanted the House to work. So, you know, it, maybe I wouldn't be making that complaint if the Democrats were in charge. But it seems like both we, we one prediction that we have had recently that is that was true is that both McCarthy and Biden would catch some heat for this. It seems like both are weathering the criticism right now. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. I mean, there there is some, I think, credible speculation that this strengthens McCarthy within his own caucus because he actually did something, you know? like And because like when he survives it, right? Yeah. Like, well, I, I think for him, it's like survive in advance. And I actually think that's true of this right. country, which, you know, for people who don't know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, this is why like I'm, I'm taking it easy on Biden on this one, because he had a matter of days before this country would be um, potentially in default and we'd have a fiscal crisis with the kind of suffering we have not seen in our lifetimes. And, you know, survive in advance for people who are not sports fans is a reference to the 1983 North Carolina state basketball team that won the NCAA tournament. They not only had to win every game in the ACC tournament, but then they went on and won every game, usually at buzzer beaters in the actual NCAA tournament. And they had this charismatic coach. I did, I did coach. not know that was the origin of the phrase. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, at least that's the name of the documentary about them. I'm sure that maybe the phrase was used before, but that's kind of the sport that people talk about surviving advance. That's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. And they had this charismatic coach, Jim Valvano. Basically they had to hit oh, a buzzer right. beater like 20 games in a row. And against some of the most vicious competition, like Michael Jordan and Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon, I digress. But that's where we are as a country right now is Biden literally has to survive in advance every week in his administration. And so for him, that's just the name of the game is like the GOP Mm -hmm. put our country uh, on the brink of an existential crisis. And by the time this airs, maybe we still are in one. Hopefully not. Hopefully by the time this airs, we've, we've passed what we needed to pass. But they did it for, honestly, these aren't great concessions but they're pretty modest in the grand scheme of things and certainly not the kind of thing that you put the country over a barrel over, right? We're mm-hmm. talking about the debt ceiling suspended until 2025, funding held flat except for uh, non-military spending. Um, there is a weird provision that says that there will be a 1% cut in spending if all 12 appropriations bills aren't passed by the end of the year. They reduced IRS funding, covid funding. I think most people don't really have a strong sense of what's in there. There's the stuff around work requirements changing by a couple of years, the the age uh, floor for people who can who are required to work to receive uh, food assistance. Uh, there was a you know a promise to, for Biden to do what he already said he was going to do, which is by the end of the summer renew student loan repayments, which people are confusing with him standing down on the on the fight to relieve student loan debt. That is not what he did. He actually maintained his ability to continue to fight through the Supreme Court for his ability to relieve student loans. And then there was this gas pipeline, permitting rules. Look, like GOP, Isaac Saul, who writes this really good article for Tangle, made the really good point that the GOP had other mechanisms to force these concessions that weren't the debt ceiling, right? They just used the strongest hand that they had to get these things. And honestly, like, Biden didn't have many options, right? He could have tried to push, as we've talked about, the 14th Amendment argument. But the minute he tries that and the Supreme Court smacks him down, he's removed that leverage. And and the minute that happens, he goes in default because like, they're probably right. not going to smack time. that down until yeah, we're past the point. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't have many uh, options. A lot of people have, can be upset, but there weren't many options. Yeah. 
What I have found interesting about this uh, in the last day or so have been the conservative, like the the far right wing of the Republican Party, which is like a good chunk of Congress now, just teeing off on McCarthy. It seems knowing that they're not going to be able to stop this now. Um, and it's just it just feels very empty to me. It feels like they're like uh, talking real tough. Because, you know, mom and dad, I mean, mm-hmm. you can decide who, who's mom and who's dad, but like their parents met and worked everything out, right? right? But now they can act like they never wanted this solution at all, right? Because what you don't hear, and we'll go to some clips here in a second, but what you don't hear any of them saying is we should have just defaulted. <laughs> like they just right. pretend that that's not like what the consequence would be when clearly it is. So I don't know. Let's just run through some of these because some of them are pretty funny. So let's see, what should we do first? I I think this one's my favorite, uh, which is Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. uh, And and we'll just get to the end and then I'll explain why it's my favorite. So let's hear that one. Tomorrow's bill is a bunch of fake news and fake talking points that will do nothing to rein in out of control federal spending If every Republican voted the way that they campaigned, they would vote against tomorrow's bad deal because this is the very thing that we all campaigned to put an end to. Okay, here comes my favorite part. I yield to my former chairman, Mr. Big. Okay, the reason that that part at the end is my favorite is because, like... That's just the most establishmenty thing you can say. Like it just like she's at a press conference, I think on the steps of the Capitol. And it's just so funny to me how these like insurgent people get there. And she's been there for what, like n- not three years. And now she's ending uh, press conferences by using terms like I yield to, which is like what you say in a committee or like you know, on the floor, it's not like, like a normal human when, when they're going to bring up another colleague says like, and you know, and now we will hear from, or like, and now I'd like to introduce. And then they also don't feel the need to tell you their relationship to the person in ways like my former chairman. Like it no reminds one cares. Me, do, you ever, do you ever do this thing? Like sometimes I'll just be like so scatterbrained running from one conversation to the next that I'll end a conversation, love you with somebody who was totally inappropriate. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like, yes. <laughs> it's like, they'll be like, wait, I'm sorry. I, I, I may love you, but that's not what I meant. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like, or the way my daughter, who, who's two and a half and doesn't fully understand how days work, ends conversations with "see you tomorrow" when like you're just walking in the other room. So like, it's the same. The worst is actually it's really the same. Where I sometimes say uh, "nice to meet you" for somebody who oh, I've met yeah. before, which is really insulting, and I often don't even meet. I just it's just like a thing you say to somebody when you see them. Mm-hmm. That's why I always go to "nice to see you" just nice as a thing because it can it can work in any situation. But anyway, I just wanted to point that out. I like that like Lauren Boebert, insurgent right winger, is now just another piece of congressional furniture. Like she just ends press conferences with things like "I will now yield to my former chairman." Like. That's well, pretty established. Jason, let me yield back my time. What clip should we go to next? <laughs> All right, let's see. What, what, what's the next one? The next one uh, is what Representative Dan Bishop, Ralph Norman, Chip Roy. Roy is it Roy or Roll? Roll? It's Roy, right? Is that how he says it? I think it? so. It, I yeah. thought for some reason that there was some other pronunciation in my head. I don't know. But they uh, were not happy and they talked to CNN's uh, Manu Raju uh, and. Uh, I mean, they're pretty salty language here about McCarthy. They're they're talking pretty tough. How much? I mean, how much confidence do you have in the speaker right now? None, zero. 
What basis is there for confidence? You cannot forfeit the tool of Republican unity. It was not necessary to do. Is the speaker lying about the way he's characterizing this bill? Yes, he's lying. But the bill is chock full of things that are that are cosmetic and artificial that have the same exact effect. McCarthy has lost some trust in how this has been handled. What I said was we got to re-look at how our leadership structure is in place, something like that, on Glenn's show, because we can't do what we're doing right now. Um, we were being very successful for five months. This was a mistake. We abandoned the structure that was making us successful, so we're going to have to rethink it all. Not what was emphatically clear in all of our conversations in January was that we would be reporting things out of the Rules Committee unanimously, and right now, that is in jeopardy. Okay, I want to make sure I understand this right. Help me. Help me with this, Ravi. I think sure what they're talking about. Whatever you're about to ask me, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to help. <laughs> well, I, th I think that what he's referring to there at the end is that that they were not going to let any bills come to the floor that didn't go through the Rules Committee and get a unanimous passing on the Rules Committee by the Republicans on the Rules Committee, right? I'm pretty sure that's what they're saying, which was their way of being like, nothing is going to make it that we the right wing are not cool with making it to the floor, right? And so they're upset that this is going to bypass that. Now, I don't know exactly how the Rules Committee works uh, in the House, um, but I can tell you there was a Rules Committee that the Republicans put in when I was in the State House, and it was just very much like this. It was just like one last place for bills to go, like it would go, like let's say it's a veterans bill. It would go through the veterans subcommittee, then it would go through the veterans committee, it would get marked up. And then in normal world, it just goes to the floor after that. The rules committee is supposedly is supposed to be where they, they all decide what the rules are going to be for that bill. Like, you know, whether you're going to be able to put amendments on it, which sections you can put amendments on. But it seems to me that they're using the rules committee the way Republican speakers did in the Missouri House, which is like just a group of Republicans who can decide whether a bill gets to the floor. Like they just bottle it up and not let it on. So it seems to me that what they are complaining about is that McCarthy did not give them the opportunity to just say no, rather than it being like up to the majority of their majority, just for like a few guys and gals to be like, nah, we don't like this one. It's not going to the floor. That basically they're like, he didn't let us force default. Is what they're mad about, right? Well, yeah. I mean, and this reminds us just when we were talking about when he when he made this deal with the devil, he, he was stacking that rule committee with extremists mm -hmm. as part of this deal. Because usually what happens is that rule committee is really important and you want to put all your loyalists on that committee because basically right. it touches on everything else that happens in the House. Now, we'll see what happens. You know, there's speculation that Democrats will have to step in and protect McCarthy's majority if there's an attempt to unseat him, which would make for some very fascinating politics that I certainly don't want to delve into today. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on this. Don't want to say too much more because so much is going to happen between now and when this airs. We're working under the assumption that this passes and that we could just move on, you know, and you know, buy ourselves a couple of years, you know, of just relief from this particular nightmare. Now I know there will be just many more shenanigans from the, the GOP in the House, but Survive in advance, Jason. That's what this is about. Well, before we even move on from this, though, we got to play this last video, which might maybe is, I don't know, it might be my favorite. It's uh, because it just shows how these folks like they just want to be against it. They just like to them, you know, McCarthy and Biden, they're like the same, right? Because they just want to oppose the establishment. That's that's where their political bread is buttered. So this is Congressman Norman on Fox News complaining about what a short time frame he had to read the bill. Uh, and I, I think it's 
I think it's pretty funny. So let's let's uh, hear this one. I mean, think about it, John. I mean, we were over Memorial Day, and to get a call uh, to to comment, support a bill that uh, a negotiated bill that we hadn't mm-hmm. even read. Uh, it's like the Pelosi days; you got to pass it before you can read it. Uh, this needs but, to be But he debated. is giving you seventy-two hours to consider it before you're asked to vote on it. Pelosi didn't because do that. Pelosi didn't do that, and that's what the part of the twenty of us that did in January we got that. But really, for this seriousness, serious of a bill affecting uh, the dollars that it is and the financial security, which is national security, we ought to have a lot more time. Uh, and I think the date it's only nine to nine pages. We know what. It's only 99 pages, not not the 2,000 plus that the uh, Affordable Care Act was. Well, and yeah, the uh, one of the Biden bills was 4,180 uh, 4, pages uh, that we had less to, time to read on. But no, this is a serious is- issue. We've got serious concerns with it. The at the end of the day, I think we gave away way too much, uh, and it's time to negotiate and go back to the table. Okay, there's so many things about this clip that I love. Uh, one, like. We don't know what's in it. And here's all the reasons I'm against it. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but, also, but we wh- gave away too much. Is it the reason why you're asked to read a long bill, which I don't know if 99 pages is a long bill, perhaps because you have been holding our country a hostage right. and that they're having to rush through this bill to avoid <laughs> default, you know? But, but Robbie, it was Memorial Day. How long and it's was, just Jason, wrong. <laughs> how long was War and Peace? War and Peace was longer than this bill, wasn't it? But it's Memorial Day and I'm at a barbecue. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm saying some, I'm reading some shit about how people died in the war that people wrote for me that I don't, anyway, uh, my, my, uh, like I got speeches to give. Uh, My, what this reminded me of was like, so True will be 10 in September and he's at an age where he is right between uh, like, he's, he's like understands he can tell time, but like, he really is not able to manage his time yet and really has no sympathy for the idea that I'm often and Diana is often trying to manage his time for him. So like it is regularly the case that we want him to go somewhere like, I don't know, school and and he's doing something he wants to do. And he'll be like, no, I need five more minutes. And we'll be like, but you don't have five more minutes. That's not up to us. See, school starts when school starts. And if you would just look at the clock, you could plan ahead. And he's like, yeah, but I'm doing this. I'm bouncing this ball off the, I, but just give me five more. And I don't have five more minutes to give you. It's not my time to give. And that's, that's what this reminds me of is they're just like, you know, he just should have given us more time. And it's like, but see, the, we're going to go in default. And that's not up to the president or McCarthy when that happens. Yeah, but we should have had more time. I mean, it's just like. By the way, you could easily pass a bill giving you more time. You could pass a one page right, piece of right. legislation. <laughs> You've been asked to do it several times. But you're well, too okay. busy bouncing the ball off the wall on Memorial Day. Anyway. Uh, we are going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we are going to face the music on our prediction around this DeSantis announcement. Then we're going to talk about J.D. Vance and some rather inaccurate things he had to say about immigrants in this country. And then we're going to talk about some awesome work happening in the state of Wisconsin, all of that and more when we come back. If you want to be healthier, one of the best things you could possibly do is get at least seven hours of quality sleep every night. 
Now I know that's really hard to do. Your mind keeps you awake. You might be anxious. You can't get comfortable. You might wake up in the middle of the night and have a hard time going back to sleep. There are so many reasons why you might not be getting that seven hours every night. But listen, it's really important to do that. Your body heals itself when it sleeps. And one of the best ways that you can ensure that you get that seven hours, that you get that quality sleep is to make sure that you're getting enough magnesium. Believe it or not, around 75% of people don't have enough of it, which helps explain why so many people have sleep problems. But please don't run to the store and find your first magnesium supplement that you could find because most magnesium supplements use only two of the cheapest synthetic forms of magnesium. And since they're not full spectrum, they won't fix your magnesium deficiencies and they won't help you sleep better. And there are actually seven unique forms of magnesium and you must get all of them if you want to experience this calming sleep enhancing effects. And that's why I recommend magnesium breakthrough by bio optimizers. Simply take two uh, capsules before you go to uh, bed every night and you'll be amazed by how much better you sleep and you'll be fully restored and rested when you wake up in the morning. So for an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash majority. That's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com slash majority54 and use the code majority54 during checkout to save 10%. Breathe some life into your own backyard with fastgrowingtrees.com this spring. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty, let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden and their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. Uh, fastgrowingtrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties for your unique climate. <laughs> unique climate. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Happy plants, happy home right? But sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best. No problem because with fastgrowingtrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus their plant experts are always available to help you keep your plants growing healthy through the season and beyond. And no more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants around. With fastgrowingtrees.com, you order online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. I'm sitting here in my brand new apartment right here. And over on the side of me over here, I got a couple of fast-growing trees over here. So it's not even for people just to have backyards. Uh, If you have an apartment, they have a ton of different things. I put a ficus tree in here and I love it. Everybody who's been in my apartment has complimented me on it. Um, And with fast-growing trees, 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, you'll know everything will look great fresh out of the box and give you a little bit of an insurance policy there. So we join over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash 54 now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash 54. All right, Robbie, last week, uh, you and I talked about the DeSantis announcement and and before I get into sort of uh, owning up to us not <laughs> completely getting this right, I, I would like to give us, uh, in our defense, we, I think, are in the camp of people who uh, take DeSantis seriously. We don't like DeSantis. We're not voting for DeSantis or anything like that. But we are sort of in the club of Democrats saying like, hey, let's not underestimate this guy or really anybody, um, but let's not underestimate uh this person. And so when he made the unorthodox decision to announce on Twitter spaces with Elon Musk, I think our inclination was to zag when everybody else was zigging, which and zigging was like, this is so stupid. 
Now, I don't know. Maybe we got this wrong or maybe he flubbed it. But let's talk about what actually because we were like, hey, look, he's going to find people on this platform. He's putting him. We had a lot of reasons why it could be really smart. It didn't turn out to work very well. You want to tell us what actually happened? Yeah, by the, by the time you listen to this, you probably know the basics, but it took like 20 plus minutes to get started. There was a glitch, you know, 20 plus minutes is often the length of an announcement speech. And the audience <laughs> was considerably smaller than he would have gotten if he just did a speech that was carried live to the sort of cable networks, et cetera. And then when it finally started, he basically gave this like standard GOP stump line speech. And then a conversation ensued first between him, David Sachs, who's a venture capitalist, and Elon Musk, in which... David Sachs and Elon Musk appeared to have a conversation with each other. Like, Santos is noticeably absent. Then they invited this doctor from Stanford University who was handpicked for his COVID views to come on, Jay Bhattacharya. And then they basically were, it was basically DeSantis and friends. Like, they were what was dubbed to be this open conversation that Musk and DeSantis, you know, dubbed this, like, you know, this, this, uh, you know, this model of free speech and openness was basically just a bunch of handpicked people who were coming in and asking softball questions and often engaging in conversations with each other and not since it was a strange announcement by any estimation. It's rather confounding for somebody who has, you know, just like you said, like for, for all of his many, many flaws, has been successful at winning elections and, you know, dominated the last election he was in. This was a rather just fraudulent political event. I don't know what else to say. Like, it just seemed like even if the glitch hadn't happened, it was just not really well stage managed. Can you imagine what it must have been like at like DeSantis HQ for that tw 20 minutes, Robbie? Like, two minutes can feel like 20. 20 feels like 20,000. The, clo the closest I mean thing I could think about for this is I was once hired by the Obama, well, I was on the Obama campaign and they sent me to American University to lead a rollout event where Ted Kennedy and Caroline Kennedy would endorse Obama. This is during the primary. And I was in charge of this event. And Emmett Beliveau, who was their director of advance, and I wasn't an advance expert, right? But they just, you know, at that point I was like a DC guy. They knew I could basically do some kind of rallies. I get it all ready. They're like, yeah, I get some like young and lively people behind the scenes. I, f I forgot to tell everybody behind the stage to put their phones away. So I'm watching in the hold room as MSNBC is running the announcement live while these people just have all their phones out in front of Ted Kennedy. And I'm getting text messages from Emmett just being like, what the hell is this? And it was like super distracting. <laughs> Because they were like trying to capture the moment. Yeah, it was people? just like, like very distracting. And I'm yeah. just like sweating bullets. And I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, it's like a classic error. Now, that error is nowhere near. The, yeah, imagine it was like they, they, they were like, and here's Ted Kennedy. And it takes him 20 minutes to get on stage and the camera just rolls. Uh, I mean, it just must have been rough, man. And. And then, you know, since then, I mean, how's he done? What do you think? Like, he's Well, okay, this is where, again, I'm in the don't underestimate DeSantis. Now, this wasn't a great lunch, but what did he do? He went to Iowa, and he's been giving his pitch in Iowa. This is what he had to say. He said leadership, he's basically subtly and so not so subtly contrasting himself with Trump. He says leadership is not about entertainment. It's about it's not about building a brand. It's about it's not about virtue signaling. It's about results. Uh, he talked about how he uh, basically... He was trying to t tie uh, Fauci and Trump together. Uh, but most notably, he said, there's no substitute for victory when he was asked about Trump. There are a lot of voters who just aren't ever going to vote for him. 
that's his best pitch to the GOP. Whether it's mm-hmm. successful or not, who's to say? But remember, this is not about winning the national electorate all at once. It's about winning one little state after another. And although I would, if I were a betting man, I would bet on Trump without a doubt. I I would not say that DeSantis is done here. It's just far too early. All right. Now, uh, let's let's go ahead and look at this clip as part of his announcement week where he went on Fox. And this is what he had to say about leftism and like his reason for running. Republicans, most of the people that support you probably voted for President Trump twice. And the, the first comment I hear over and over again is why doesn't Ron DeSantis wait for President Trump's second term and then run? And what is your best answer? That? Why is right now the time for Ron DeSantis to run for president? Because the, everyone knows if I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden uh, and I will serve two terms and I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history. And what do we think about this answer? I mean, you know, putting aside the fact that we, we don't want that. <laughs> well, uh, the metaphor bothers me as a writer. Like you want to leave it in the dustbin? <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. It's not like you're sweeping up your floors. You leave mean, you, gotta, you already destroyed it. Yeah. I, it's and just I, too many mixed metaphors here. Uh, that is the that is the argument. Like it, It's hard to... It's just you think about what we did in these campaigns and, and don't even just make it about Democrats. Like Think about the 2008 election. You had a war hero in McCain, regardless of what you think about him, mm-hmm. who had a, a very... At, at, at times was incredibly eloquent. And thoughtful. He he wound up, I think, selling out too much. But in the end, even he was shutting down people in his own audience mm-hmm. who were crossing certain lines. And then you had Obama, who literally was campaigning in poetry the entirety of that election. And now I, just, it, it's really hard to listen to this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like even Trump, who's a complete sociopath, at least when he says something you know it's going to be something different, right? You know like it's going to be something surprising, usually crazy. But the reason why he, I think he part he's been successful is you just never know what's going to happen. Whereas with DeSantis, it's just so boilerplate. It's just astonishing, you know? There's nothing unique about anything he's saying. What's sad to me about it is like, I think it's a pretty effective primary argument. That's what makes me sad, right? Like, right. Because, because at the end of the day, like, when it comes to getting people to vote for you who voted for Trump before, you know, you have to you have to promise them that you you will destroy the thing they want destroyed, right? Like right. because so much of what is motivating them is not what gets done, it's what gets destroyed and who gets hurt, right? It's like they want they want something hurt and destroyed and it's a it's a grievance politics. And so it makes me sad that uh, that is such an effective strategy. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is. So I think it's important. I think that clip is instructive for people who are, you know, you're talking to your family members because you're going to hear that kind of thing over and over and over again. Like that's apparent. That's a big deal. Like that his answer to why are you running for president is to destroy leftism. That's a big deal because that is pretty divisive. Right. And we're going to need to come back to that over and over again because the closest that Joe Biden got to that at any time in the last election or will get in this election is 
things like this is a fight for the soul of America or, you know, we have to fight back against extremism. What you will not hear from him is we have to fight back against the right period. Like we, we mm-hmm. have to destroy the right. We have to destroy conservatism. We have to, you just don't hear it. Now he will refer to it as fascist, but he won't say the entire right is fascist to the chagrin of some people in our party, you know, but like, I do think that that's an important difference um, between the two. Well, and it's, it. it's not surprising, but it's kind of scary and sad. Think about Obama. You know, it's not a red America, blue America, United States of America, the right. unifying message there. I would love to see, I would love to live in a world, this is not the world we live in, where the appeal to conservatism is one that's a positive appeal, right? Because I do think like this is a country that's always going to be divided in one way or another. And I would love for it to be one that's forward looking, to be like, hey, like I'm about you, the small business owner, and I want to harness your energy, your potential, no matter whether you're a Bangladeshi immigrant or multi-generational African-American family in Louisiana. You know, almost what Tim Scott says, to be honest. Like, like I would love to live in a world where that's the, the clash of ideas is how much you know, like, do we shrink the size of government? Because one party thinks that the more you shrink the size of government, the more you empower people. And the other uh, party believes that a robust government is the best way to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks and everybody has a fair shake, right? That's the debate that we should be having right now. Not this just bromide of leftism, critical race theory, groomers, just like nonsense. Like it's honestly like a middle school argument and it's really depressing. It's interesting because we were in that world in 2008. We were still somewhat in that world in 2012. And that was the last time, right? But the the party that is still largely in that world is the Democrats. Because now that's not true if you think of the Democratic Party as the cable news part, as the stars, as the folks. And I'm not like my politics are at this point much closer to Elizabeth Warren and AOC and them, like my personal political views than they are to uh, Bill Clinton or whatever, like for sure. But look at who won the nomination, you know, last time and look at how he won it. Like Joe Biden went out and like he, he sounded pretty much the same in the general election as he did in the primary. Right. And there was, there were a lot of detractors from that. There were, when he was in the prime, I mean, I remember people making fun of him in the debates in the primary talking about how he wants to work with Republicans, how there are some people who he can work with over there and, and people didn't like it, but, but the whole time it was what you're talking about. It was very optimistic. It was very forward looking. It was very much like Obama. And I do think it is instructive, and I think it's worth mentioning to people when you're talking about the two parties with someone who's persuadable, that the route to winning the majority of Democratic primary voters is still a message of unity, whereas the route to winning the majority of Republican primary voters is to be as divisive as you possibly can, is is for Ron DeSantis to go further than Trump in turning the other side into enemies and you know, if you look at Twitter, it doesn't seem like it. If you look at cable news, it doesn't seem like it. But if you look at the way people vote in Democratic primaries, they're voting for the message of unity. They're not voting for the message of we're going to we're going to make the other side hurt. And right. I think that matters. I also think at a, certain, at a certain point, we have to have the debates ourselves, right? The same city, not even just think about the country, right? The same city has Democrats who are like Eric Adams and AOC mm-hmm. and Alvin Bragg and Akeem Jeffries. Four very right. different 
not just styles, but beliefs on the role of government. And, you know, that's, that's just where we are is like, we've, we've got to allow that kind of intellectual diversity because that debate is not happening across the two parties right now enough. Like certainly in certain places it must be happening, but like, honestly, like there's not a whole lot that DeSantis, you know, a guy who's an Ivy league educated governor veteran who's supposed to be the best, you know, like if you listen to Ben Shapiro, you'd think that this is the best they've got intellectually. Sounds no different than like your right-wing uncle sounds. Like the stuff that's coming out of his mouth, there's no poetry, no sophistication. There's no story he's telling really other than bad guy, like the left. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so certainly the odd, like if if I'm handicapping him compared to when the last time we talked about this, you know, mere seven days ago, I honestly expected more. Uh, I really yeah. expected more from this announcement. Well, what we've been saying all along is that people are underestimating the degree to which Ron DeSantis can win this thing if he performs. Yeah. And this was his first at bat and he struck out. He's yeah. going to have more at bats, uh, but he's going to have to do a lot better. He's going to have to do a lot better than this. Well, that's a good place to end. We are going to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about J.D. Vance and his views on immigration and why they're wrong. And then we're going to talk about the great state of Wisconsin and how Democrats are on the offensive there and how they can keep up that momentum, all of that and more when we return. Majority 54 is sponsored by Lomi. Uh, I have a family that apparently creates a lot of waste. And when I say it that way, it sounds funny. We, we create a lot of trash, a lot of stuff that should go in the trash. And, and that means that when you have a lot of trash left over and then the week comes to an end and our area trash gets picked up on Wednesday, uh, you know, I, 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 you, most of the time I feel pretty guilty about it because I'm like the guy out there with multiple bags and I got to like ask a neighbor, can I put it in your spot? Or I've got to get one of these tags from the city and I put that in my trash that says I paid for this extra bag. Uh, but Lomi, transforms all that extra garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in under four hours. And now I am that guy that I remember from my neighborhood when I was younger, the kind of strange guy who loves composting. But now I don't think it's strange. Now I just think it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's like made cooking at home even more fun because when there's food waste, oh, awesome. That goes into the compost even better. Uh, so there's no food rotting in the garage and smelling up the, or, or smelling up the kitchen. Uh, thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the trash this once a week and it's hassle-free and I don't have the embarrassment of like everybody's using my extra bags. I get to help the environment and make my life easier. All of my food scraps, my plant clipping, uh, even those those leftovers that I forgot in the back of the fridge, they go back into what would be my garden if I have a garden, but instead, you know, they go into making the grass be a little bit greener. Uh, and it helps me grow, uh, should I start a garden, more nutritious food uh, right in the backyard. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash Majority54 and use the promo code Majority54 to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Majority54 and use promo code Majority54 at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. Jason, this is where I'm going to get really wonky. So we're going to have to we're going to have to put me on a time limit or something. But JD Vance tweeted a couple of days ago this graphic from Axios, and then he was saying 
that immigration is leading to increased housing costs in this country. So basically trying to blame immigrants for increased housing costs. Now, a couple problems with this data, Jason, but before I get to like all the wonkish stuff, what's going on here? Like, is this, is this an argument you think will stick? Uh, okay. So I don't fully understand, like I followed this back and forth and you're going to have to break this down, but I feel like sort of like heels and professional wrestling or like the way they cast Saturday Night Live, there are archetypes through which or to which different Republican Party figures fall into. And I'm sure this is true on both sides of the aisle, right? It's sort of like like you 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 come up through the ranks and you're like, oh, I'm a this kind of person, right? And like the the JD Vance archetype, I think, I would take I would say it goes back to like Pat Buchanan. Like, do you remember Pat Buchanan? Like it was like like I'm um I'm xenophobic and I'm racist and I'm bigoted, but I'm highly educated. And I use very big words. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's sort of also the Josh Hawley archetype or like what. And I don't mean like literally, I mean like the lane they try and occupy. So sure. that's why I think you so often see on social media the J.D. Vance's and the Josh Hawley's of the world try and put out these things that seem like intellect, but they're so confusing that I think the average person following it just goes, okay, I'm sure that's right. And doesn't break it down. Whereas I would put Ted Cruz more in like the, uh, he would be in that lane, but he's like, I'm from Texas. So I don't even bother with the charts. You know what I mean? Like I just do memes. So anyway, break down this bullshit chart brought to us by JD Vance. Yeah. There is a connection between this and what we just talked about with DeSantis, which is I I guarantee you that JD Vance and Josh Hawley sit around and are appalled by how anti-intellectual Ron DeSantis is and how uneloquent Mm -hmm. he is as if it matters, as if it matters at all. It matters to me. Like I like listening to things that are smart even if they're wrong, but like that's more of like a sports thing, right? It's like I'm, I'm watching it to be like, all right, how is this person performing? But what is unquestionably true is that this is dishonest. And so he's taking this data and dangerous, right? So he's taking this data and he is massaging it. So basically what he's not accounting for is the fact that people are renting bigger houses with more amenities. Uh, the other thing he's not uh, taking into account is uh, that there are, it's not the amount of people trying to look at houses, but the fact that there are, how many households are there that are being added to the country? And actually the number of households we have has remained pretty steady relative to the cost of housing. There's a really good piece by Noah Smith in the No Opinion subsect that goes into this. It basically says, yes, there is basically nothing to advance the saying. He says, yes, there's regional differences, et cetera. But he's massaging this data to try to paint a picture that he wants. And this is why I think this sort of supply side, Matthew Iglesias, Ezra Klein, Jared Polis type thinking that's starting to take fire within the Democratic Party. And Biden certainly leaned into this in the State of the Union address, which is to use plain speak, we need more of stuff in this country in order to decrease the cost. And at a time where housing prices are going up, what we need to do as Democrats is allow us to build more housing, Right. And we Mm -hmm. need to just, like, I know the developers and builders are the big bad within the Democratic Party, but we actually need to embrace the increasing of housing stock, especially at a time where interest rates are as high as they are and people who are locked into low mortgages are not selling. So at a time when that's happening, we need to build more. That That's what a lot of Democrats are starting to say. I think that's a good thing, but this is not reflected at all in what Vance is saying. 
it's like, if you were to take this and boil it down to a person, this is a person who is like, we shouldn't build more housing. We should have fewer people in the country. And right. then they go to lunch. And when it takes too long for somebody right. to come and take their order or the food takes too long to come out because there aren't as many people working in the kitchen, they're like, why doesn't anybody want to work? <laughs> There's not enough people to can do you, all the JC, jobs. Could you, so maybe could you, you imagine how pissy J.D. Vance and Josh Holly must be if their Caesar salad isn't you know, on you know, to uh, them and within thirty minutes of ordering it, you know, it'll be like James Corden or something. You know, there's a deep those cut two for assholes between culture. the two of them, between the two of those two assholes, they have asked to see over five thousand different managers. I promise you, between the two guys, uh, like they, they're all. Man, I'd like to speak to the manager. Those two fellows, uh, they ironically, because uh, ideologically, this is ironic. When I think of those two, I often think of the South Park episode from several years ago where a bunch of people went and got um, hybrids and then they walked around smelling each other's farts because they were like, oh, my God, like our farts smell so great because we got hybrids. Now, neither of those guys would ever get hybrids, but they they remind me of that same sort of intellectual smugness and superiority, uh, just, you know, different ideological. I continue event. to believe, you know, we talked to, to you know, this is this is. On my bingo card, we talked to Jared Polis, governor of Colorado, about this. And he said about inflation, he had a very simple message. Lower tariffs, increase immigration. I continue to love that argument, especially the increased immigration part of it, because I think tariffs is a little too esoteric to people. But I think at a time when things are expensive and people can't find nurses, they can't find home care specialists, they can't find teachers, they can't find service workers, they can't find doctors appealing to people's self-interest, not the human. I believe in the human rights argument for immigration. My dad was an immigrant to this country, but he was also a doctor. Uh, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why people let him into this country was not because uh, out of the goodness of their hearts, but because they needed doctors. And because the Vietnam War was going on at the time and we we're sending so many doctors over there. And so I think this is how we should be talking about this. I think we need to be like, look, look around your community right now. If J.D. Vance is right, then... Every like every you know new small business that opens has all the workers they need. Every hospital has the nurses they need, and every doctor ho- hospital has all the doctors they need, and every construction company has all the roofers they need. If that's the community you're living in, vote for JD Vance. But if you live in the rest of America with the rest of us, you know that those jobs are all in short supply, and you also know that those by and large are great people. Those are good citizens of your community. Those are some of the most fastidious you know, useful to use like utilitarian language, like the kind of people who you really count on in our, in your society. And honestly, they're more useful than me, a podcaster. So <laughs> you want more of them, less of me in your, in your, in your society. And we need more of them and less of JD Vance. So just be like, look, if he's right, just look with your own eyes. You don't even have to like worry about what's on the news. I, I also think that like, if you are still, if you still look at the labor market and your concern is is these two things is that one that there are too many immigrants doing jobs that you think Americans should be doing or two that you think more Americans should be doing more of these jobs that most Americans don't want to do. You're like completely missing the fact that if you want to have a threat to the American labor market or the economy, like AI is right around the corner, man. Right. Like, I mean, if you think that these two things are what's causing it, I mean, that it like, you got to look at it and say, oh, things are evolving over time and more people are going, I don't actually 
like particularly single people who don't have kids are like, I guess I don't have to work multiple 12 hour shifts um, because I'm fine on the gig economy and all these other things. I'm finding ways to have you know, more leisure time and also be able to pay my bills. I'm not saying things are great and income inequality is not a problem. I'm saying people are choosing not to do those jobs because they're choosing other ways to make money, but those jobs still need to get done. Yeah. And if you want to worry about something, worry about AI putting out of business a lot of the jobs that people are choosing to do. Yeah. And I mean, Congress, I mean, there's a whole other segment, but they embarrass themselves in these AI hearings. There was bipartisan unity. Great. And but at the end of it, they're basically acknowledging that this is an existential threat AI. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to reconvene in July. And this was last month. We're going to reconvene in July. Meanwhile, two months is 100 years in the in mm-hmm. the life of this technology. And we're going to talk about copyright in July. <laughs> That's what they said. And so I'm like, wait, is this an existential crisis? And they're all acknowledging, including Josh Hawley, that this is a threat to elections, which the irony aside of yeah. him saying that, I'm like, you're going to wait two months and then you're going to reconvene and talk about copyright when is a legislation going to p- get passed to stand up a new agency to regulate ai as it relates to elections it's going to be 2030 elections like i, I don't yeah. understand this is embarrassing but yeah look we've got more retirees entering retirement now than we've ever had with the boomers and will ever have as a country this will be the biggest group of retirees we've ever had we have a looming healthcare crisis happening right now where the cost of care is going up the amount of providers we have across the board, whether it's doctors, nurses, domestic care workers, are in short supply. We're not creating them in this country. There are plenty of people who want to come to this country to do those jobs. We are not allowing them to come here to do those jobs. That is a simple argument. It affects everybody. Your conservative grandmother, your liberal grandparent, your independent grandparent, their kids, Everybody around you, it's affecting everybody. I think this needs to be like one of the biggest things we talk about because what we're saying makes complete sense to me. And it's a humanitarian crisis waiting to happen. And it is the best case for immigration that anybody could make. But Ravi, if those doctors come over here, my house will cost more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, there'll be brown people like Not my really. dad. Yeah. I mean, um, see, that is implicit in my statement. Um, or yeah. in theirs. All right. But that said... Yeah. You want to talk about Wisconsin real quick? All right. Well, shout out to Ben Wickler, who's been on this podcast before, who's the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. There's not much to talk about here, Jason, other than we want to, I want to refer people to this piece by David Siders uh, in Politico, which basically talks about how uh, the GOP, now he, he the, the headline here says the GOP lost Wisconsin, but the fine print here is that they've lost ground in Wisconsin. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's be clear. We've been through, you know, Friday the 13th, you know, part seven here, where we know that Jason is never dead, uh, mm-hmm. and Mike Myers is never dead, and nobody's ever lost. I don't think that the GOP's, we, as we learned, the GOP wasn't even fully lost in blue New York, <laughs> once they came back right. with a vengeance. So nothing's ever fully lost, but there's some really good work that's been happening there. We've been covering it for a while, all the way from the state chair to families of listeners, where we've talked to family members. But basically, what this article paints is that, look, a lot of elections recently, including the Supreme Court race, have been going the way of Democrats recently, and that abortion seems to be resonating as an issue uh, in in a way that is completely clobbering the expectations of the GOP, and that the GOP is in a bit of disarray, Jason, in Wisconsin. And 
boy, are they in a pickle in Wisconsin and nationally. And the fact that they understand at this point that they are completely on the other side of where the country is on abortion. And what makes it worse is it seems the only way for them to to win Republican primaries is for them to go deeper and deeper into the hole and be more and more opposed to where the rest of the country is on abortion. Like, like look at Ron DeSantis right now, right? Like Biden's been hitting him on already on the fact that like he has pushed for a, the, some of the most aggressive abortion bans, right? And that's going to be his position all the way through the primary for him to get out. We've already seen Trump is like talking about how, hey, I'm the one who killed Roe v. Wade. So they're all doing it. And they are they are digging a hole that is uh, politically much deeper than the average, I think, the average get through the primary hole. This is a lot deeper than, you know, um, I, I would be against Obamacare, right? Or I would be, I would... Um, I would get rid of it. And then, you know, they have to go back later and fix the whole, yeah, you wouldn't be able to stay in your parents' health care. Like this is much deeper than that stuff. Uh, this is like, because you don't just change your position on abortion. People don't let you also, just people, do that. People were, people didn't know what Obamacare was responsible for all the time. Like they, they, they right. took for granted some of the things that about their health care that changed without necessarily connecting it to Obamacare. That's right. I mean, I literally had a guy in an airport once say to me, like I was just talking to a guy and he and I asked, we were just talking about health insurance or something. And he told me he was on the exchange. And I was like, oh, so you, you're using Obamacare? He goes, no, no, no. I use the exchange. I don't use Obamacare. And he was like offended. So like, but but that doesn't Keep work that way with abortion. Keep your off my Medicare. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And but people, But with abortion, people are like, it it ain't confusing like that. You know no. what I mean? Like you can't, you can't. And so I think it is a, uh, politically, it's something people should, it should make people feel more confident as they go into 24, because it is a big problem for the Republican Party. Well, I'll leave you with this quote from Ben Wickler. There'll be a moment in the Republican primary debates where GOP candidates raise their hand to commit to signing an abortion ban passed by Congress. And that moment is going to radically reshape the presidential primary, but it's really going to explode in the general election. Mm -hmm. That's what he's saying. It's pretty simple. You're for a ban or you're not. You know what I mean? And uh, and that's a that's a big problem for them. All right, but you have a grab an oar. Grab an oar. Shout out to Lauren Bear uh, over at Arena, who is my uh, very capable successor running Arena, which is an organization that runs the um, largest training operation for Democratic operatives in the country. And an organization that you founded. Yes, an organization that I founded alongside Swathi, a, a common friend of ours, Kate Cathra, and, and, a, and a couple of others who put in a lot of great work. But they're running an Arena Academy 201, which is kind of like a medium to more expert level training for people. And it's like communications, management, et cetera. Like whatever job you want to do in campaigns, they have a track for you. I, for years, have run the communications track. And it'll be taking place July 21st to 23rd. Applications are due by June 11th. 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. If you are interested in signing up, go to arena.run slash academy, arena.run slash academy. Uh, there's either free or highly subsidized depending on your circumstance. So, uh, and this has gone on to train people who've been managing all, basically every Democratic campaign you've ever heard of, there are people who've been staffed through these academies. It's really awesome. Uh, so go check it out. That's arena.run slash academy. Um, yeah, I Jason, would just say you if you're oh, interested sorry. in 
getting, I was going to say, if you're interested in getting involved and you've always been like, but I don't really know how, like this is where to start. Uh, it doesn't matter what your level of sophistication has been in the past it, is you should do this, but let's do one for us. Uh, you know, so let's you first, what, what do you got? Well, I'm heading to Nashville this week. I, try, I do like one trip to Nashville every year and I'm going on Friday for a wedding of um, one of my beloved former teachers. And oh, cool. I am, I, I have been invited to a conference in Costa Rica, which, hmm. you know, that's going to be tough to, to turn down. So I may be going straight from Nashville to Costa Rica, which means, and, and one, and both out of obligation, one, cause it's a friend getting married. And then the other, mm-hmm. cause it's a, a conference where I might be able to raise some money and interest for this India work that I'm doing. And, uh, Having a professional reason to go to Costa Rica, honestly, I don't know if it gets any better, Jason. I'm yeah, good for you, man. That's that's. I mean, that's you just get good karma is how that's happening. So, yeah. uh, all right. Well, my my one for us. I'm just gonna push push some some merch. It's not majority fifty four merch though. Uh, it is as as longtime listeners of the show know. I play center field for the Kansas City Hustlers of the National Adult Baseball League, uh, which is, it's real baseball, not softball, but we're basically and just a bunch of- you're wearing right now? I'm wearing the hat right now. So if you're watching on video, we have merch now and some of the proceeds go to defray the cost of the team. We are basically a grown-up little league team, although it's you know mostly guys who played like college and some guys who played pro. It's pretty good baseball. It's free baseball in Kansas City, but- the merch is awesome. Oh, like, that looks great. You can man. see, yeah, you you know, Brett put it up here. Like the, it's pretty hard to get a new spin on the KC logo. So if you're a Kansas City person watching this, there's some good stuff. I'm wearing. I'll point the screen. I'm wearing one of our T-shirts, and this is all done through Sandlot Goods, which is a local company in Kansas City, uh, which uses they manufacture, they make all of it here in Kansas City. They pay everybody a minimum of I think it's fifteen dollars an hour. We the team we went and got to see their facility. It's very cool. As you can see, this is if you, if you're a flat bill well, kind of guy. Guy. Brett, can you, this is a Brett, great can you put that back up again? Just the photo of that. Now, Jason, I love this jacket. That thing looks amazing. Yeah. How about the letter jacket? How amazing is that? I it's think I'm like, going to buy that. Now, question for you. Now, be honest. You're, you're going to be biased uh-huh. on this. If I wear that, am I in any way suggesting I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Because the I don't think similar. so. Because it's it's got it doesn't have the yellow. Because I would have, love. Okay. I would love a way to support the city of Kansas City. Without mm-hmm. supporting its sports teams, because I it love says the hustlers on the back, this is so it's going to be pretty clear. This is fine yeah. with me. Now, now that's one hat. Then you got the, if you like the curve bill, you got the curve bill here on you know with this nice logo, the KC logo. So we'll put the link um, in the uh, uh, in the show notes. We'll put them, you know, I assume in the description here on on the YouTube product. Um, but you know, Sandlot Goods is a great company. It's a partnership with the team. And part of the proceeds go back to the team. I don't make any money off this. It it just defrays the costs, allows, you know, pays for baseballs and stuff like that. So, and and it's just fun. It's my grown up little league team. And it's cool stuff, man. It says hustlers. You don't even have to be like from Kansas City. I'm going to get that jacket. That's that's awesome, man. All right. It's it's, uh, it's very nice. It's kind of Axel Foley and Beverly Hills Copish. Love it. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, Remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority 54 and please leave a five-star review. Uh, Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.